Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Ozzy. And today we've seen Smile, which is enormously successful already. It's cost $17 million to make uh, and it's had box office so far of $110 million. It's a horror film. Uh, I was kind of looking forward to it. We'd seen the trailer, but I didn't know really anything about it. It's um, Seth Meyers on his late night show has been using it as a reference recently, which I found quite funny. Um, he does some, he gets like things in his head sometimes and just won't stop referencing it. And Smile is the latest thing he's been on about. Um, Why? But, well, it's it's because of the idea. I think the idea is kind of compelling. I don't think you've seen the film. It's just the idea of the creepy smile, and the creepy smile is on the poster and it's in the trailer. And it really is creepy. I think the film could make more of it. But I think like that is it, initially it's quite intoxicating. The it's just this creepy smile on people's faces that suggests I don't know possession, madness, whatever it is. That's a cool. That's a fun, creepy idea. And I was kind of looking forward to it on that basis, basically not knowing anything else about it. Mm. Um, I got the sense you were bored quite a lot. I was bored throughout. Uh, and actually, the thing is, I. It's my least favorite genre, right? Yeah. I go see them because I feel I have to, and because recently this has been, I, th- I think, arguably the most interesting genre in cinema. But I'm easily scared. I don't like to be scared. I am that person who jumps off their seats and puts their hands in front of their eyes. And this didn't even do that very much. Did it not? It's full of jump scares. I mean, I was constantly, like, you know, just squinting so I could barely see the screen, knowing that something was coming. I, I was bored. Yeah, but you weren't. You, d- you didn't find that the jumps were, you know... Well, there were moments where I obviously did, sure. right? But, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't engaged. Yeah. I, th- I think the film is... I think the film, in a way, it seemed to me, it didn't quite know what it was doing, mm. you know. And then on top of that, what it was doing, it wasn't doing it too effectively. So, yeah. You know. So, um, when we saw a film called The Night House um, a little over a year ago, do you remember that one? It was about the lake house, and then you'll see there's a lake, and then across the lake, there's this kind of mirror copy of the house. Yes. Um, I think I said on that podcast that one of the things that a lot of quote unquote elevated horror does is it uses um, whatever kind of entity or creature or whatever it might be that it features in its film as a metaphor for yes. typically grief or trauma. So yes. you see a lot, and it, to the point where it's become... like It's kind of seemed smart when it f- first appeared. Mm. And it's become really boring, I think, and quite predictable. Well, and not that interesting. And that's what this film is doing explicitly. It's, it's talking about trauma. Yes, it is. You know, but and I thought it might have something to do with COVID. You know, this thing of being alone. Oh, right. You know, being indoors and shut in is what causes this monster, right? It's <laughs> the girl's childhood, you know, and then like kind of the only way of making sure you're not a danger to anyone else is to stay alone at home. Yeah, I thought it might be related to that, but that but, might have been interesting. Yeah, of course, it's not doing that. That's it's not quite doing that. That's right. So, and you think, well, what is it doing? And this is why the film is also very confusing, because initially you think, you know, this film is about a spirit that passes from one person to the other. Mm-hmm. They have to witness something that traumatizes them in order for it to carry on, right? So you think initially the whole thing is about that. But then there's this whole other strand, which is about 
her um, relationships with her family. Yeah. Yeah. And the result that it's had on her. So, you know, witnessing her mother kind of going mad and dying as a result of it has obviously left her traumatized and traumatized enough so that she can't get close to anybody. Right. So the film tries to mix those two lines around trauma. Yeah, they're both kind of events that cause... Yeah, well, this is one of the things I think is confused about the film. The idea of this spirit, demon, evil entity, whatever it might be, is that you witness... And if it sounds like it follows, it fucking is like it follows, mm. right, from 2014. And to the point where I looked up whether it was the same filmmaker, because I can't, I can't believe that you can do this and not get sued. for. Like, mm. It's so close. Um, the idea is that uh, you witness someone commit suicide with the creepy smile on the face and that leaves you with trauma and then this the thing that caused them to commit suicide is passed on to you you then commit suicide in front of someone else and that witness takes that trauma with them and, the, and, it, and it all happens within seven days yeah. so there's a bit of the ring going on and, as well. to, and to be more precise it's not that you commit suicide it's this thing that's inside you kills you yeah so it at the last minute takes over which is where this creepy mm. smile comes from yes so in in effect, it's about murder disguised as suicide in order to traumatize someone and leave them vulnerable enough so that thing can pass on. Yeah. So the similarity with it follows is it follows was was taken by pretty much everyone to be um, metaphorical about STDs is that a kind of demon that would follow you and chase you down and uh, assume the appearance of other people, which is what this one does, um, was passed on through sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there was a chain of, you know, people have sex and then they have sex with someone else and sex with someone else. And this thing is following the, the and killing um, the people down the chain. So you have this string of traumas. And to the point where the demon, if let's call it that for the sake of argument, pretty much says kind of out loud that it is trauma. It might as well say, like, my name is trauma and I am chasing you. And one of the people, so the main character that we see is a therapist. She has witnessed a patient of hers who she's only known for a minute, just just you know come into the ER. She commits suicide with the creepy face, and then she finds that the person, the reason she was in the ER is that she's been traumatized by seeing her professor mm. commit suicide. So she goes to investigate the professor, and what she finds out about him is that uh, he had obviously been seeing all the same things, and that he had a brother who had killed himself. The, the, wife the widow that we mm. meet mentions that right um and so i'm thinking right so we've, we've already had this thing about her mother committing suicide though we don't know very much about it but it's been mentioned and now we're getting this thing about this doctor's this this professor's brother uh committing suicide so is so is it connected to a historical trauma as well but we don't actually learn anything no. about anybody else it doesn't develop the the other guy that we meet who has been part of this chain is the prisoner um, and he's still alive because he found out, again, it's one of these, these, these developments that these films do, he's been researching it already so that we don't have to. And he's found out that if you um, murder someone in front of someone else, then the trauma that that creates is passed on to this other witness, yes. so, so you can survive. But we don't know anything about his past. We don't know whether he's had some brother who commits suicide. Mm. So, 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 so you, you're left confused because... The film is talking about this historical trauma that this woman has from her mother's abuse of her and, and seeing her suicide when she was young. Or overdose, I think it's more implied mm. to be, even though it's called a suicide. 
we have that historical one, but then we also have this new trauma that's created with this string of suicides. And you're going like, what are they both important? Is it just a coincidence that we have this historical thing that that is coming into play because of this particular character's past? Do you know what I mean? It's- I know what you mean. Um, I think the film is not coherent, but it is trying to do. I mean, just to keep with the COVID thing, because yeah. I do think that there's an, an international virus dimension <laughs> to this to this story, right? Because, yeah. you know, we're told that they've traced it back to 20 people. So basically you catch it, and you catch it in this particular way through trauma. Mm. But also, uh, the guy who escaped it says he had, in prison, says he had done some research, and... Uh, that um, there were different chains. There were different chains. Mm. One of them from Brazil. Yeah. Right. So he mentions Brazil. So I do think that there is an attempt to link it. Yeah, kind of incoherently, but also kind of mm. actively to to the idea know, of different strains of COVID, of, of virus. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the thing is that the film is inconsistent and it is incoherent, and it isn't quite scary, and. I found myself hating a lot of the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, the girl's sister, I couldn't stand her, I couldn't stand her life, I couldn't stand the way it was acted, mm. right? Like, I just, uh, you know, they could have done, they could have drawn characters differently. I didn't like the way it was filmed. Um, I didn't like that device of showing you something, yeah, and then showing you something else, right? Describe that. Um, so, for example, when you see the monster in the house and she sets it on fire mm-hmm. and then you realize what well, it must have been a dream or whatever, it's in her mind, because then, you know, the guy reappears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time in a more threatening form and invades her body. And the film does that also with the psychiatrist at the end, who she thinks she's talking to a psychiatrist. And then she realizes. And then she realizes it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not the psychiatrist. How that happens is never quite explained really and it, it does it too often I think there are various incidents of that of mm. you think you're seeing something and then kind of realizing oh well it's only in her mind but it's in her mind as a prelude to something that is going to happen now mm. you know I, I mean like I, I knew that you would have a problem with quote unquote the monster's powers what are its abilities what can it do and I, I kind of agree with you on it mm. um, I do I think I'm more forgiving to the way in which it is using a kind of I think the film is very effective at putting you in the main character's headspace and a kind of a, a, a a breaking down, but a breaking down sanity. Essentially, the, mm. the monster during this you know week of sort of mental torture is is driving her um, pretty crazy, and I think I'm quite forgiving. I'm quite forgiving of the jump scares, which often I'm not, and it's not because I think like they're cheap or anything. They can be. I just don't think they are here. You know, I think the film is capable of building tension. It does it very obviously. I don't think there's. It's quite a derivative film in all sorts of ways. Um, but I do think it's effective at at creating tension. I think the camera work is part of that. You said you didn't like how it was filmed. Yes. So before we started to learn everything about what this demon does and, and, and uh, the, the, the chain of traumas thing, I was already thinking this is a lot like it follows from very early on. And it's because of the camera work and it's because of the 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 aesthetic and well, the aesthetic and the and the tone. Right. It's kind of it's calm. The camera is 
placed on a tripod. It pans slowly. Things are quite smooth and quite deliberate, which is it. It, it, it just really reminded me of the way the camera's used in the, Apollo's as well. The image felt mm. thin. I thought it follows mm. had a glossier look. You know, like and I've been thinking about this because I've been watching a, a quite an unknown Cirque film. You know, and uh, Guillermo del Toro talks about how films have to offer us eye protein. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, you know, an image in the background can contain several things that, you know, yeah, cumulatively yeah. become important. And of course, Cirque is full of stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. And I, 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 you know, I was looking at this film and it was like so thin, there's nothing there. Yeah, it's like, not doing much of that. Although uh, I think it builds nice compositions. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think the way the camera moves is effective. So when we first get into her historic home that she grew up in where this uh, where this abuse by her mother happened that's mm. where she kind of relocates for the final movement of the film um we're introduced to that through a long pan that just mm. takes in the kind of dilapidated house i really like that right and mm. it kind of you, you you get you get a sense of certainly the geography of the place you also get a sense of the past that it contains um and you get as well as that, the sense of what could be hiding in the shadows. And there are a lot of points where the film is placing a, ca a character here and there's a doorway there or something like that. And you, you, my eyes are going to there. I know that I'm... Okay, know, fair enough. Could be but but there. then there's another dimension which they're missing. So you go to the span and you see like a, a, a bed with a mattress and, you know, a bed stand without a mattress. And I think there's also like a, an armchair and so on. And you think like... Well, my immediate way of thinking is, well, is this related to, you know, a bed somehow? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, kind of those kinds of things. And, and actually, it doesn't play off of that. I mean, no, except I suppose, you know, the mother was bedridden. Uh, but what well, it is just, yeah, the thing about the mother is it's just it's the it's the room at the end of the hall. Mm -hmm. And and then when you get in there and you just see this mattress, that's just that's what this room looks like. Now, mm -hmm. it's not actually the, the way in which it plays with the mother in particular is that when she first walks through the door, it cuts to flashback and you see the young main character um, discovering her mother is uh, mm -hmm. overdosing and seeing her death, basically. Um, but then, yeah, you cut back to the modern day and it's that's just the room now. So that particular shot of the, the room as it is now looking so kind of bare mm -hmm. and blank is juxtaposed with the history that we've just witnessed has mm -hmm. happened in it but the rest of the place you're absolutely right it's just it's just there's an armchair there it's covered with a cloth it's old it's dusty the thing's broken it's not it's not meaning very much it's not it's creating a kind of a quite a minimal sort of tone although i think the tone it creates is kind of appropriate and it works it's not doing a lot with mm. it um i just quickly want to say because we mentioned it follows a couple of times i really don't like it follows um, because I think it's seriously misogynistic, and I really, really hated it. The opening of that film is this: it's this girl in sort of a, like a loose shirt and short shorts and red high heels, and she's kind of running around the, the drive outside a house, terrified of something. And the camera is panning; it's doing, you know, it's having the, the very similar sort of camera moves. It completely clued me in right at the start. Oh, these are the same. Um, and then she ends up on the beach. I think like calling her dad, saying, "Yeah, I'm sorry," something like this. And you cut to, and again, this is something that this film is doing a lot, is just a cut to something traumatic, not traumatic, <laughs> a cut to something gruesome. It cuts straight to, like the morning later on the beach, her body torn up, her leg bent backwards, a heel hanging off. And it's, and it's kind of artfully composed, as the way I think some of these shots are artfully composed. But it is nasty and horrible. And, and I, I, I remember I was watching that thinking, this is not... The opening. This is not a film that a woman could make. 
You know, it's so vicious to, mm. to the, like the image of this woman in in a way that's supposed to titillate. Maybe it's not quite the right word, but you know, excite and creep out and that sort of thing. Just disgusted me. I thought mm. <laughs> this is really, really misogynistic. I thought, and nothing through the rest of the film kind of convinced me otherwise. Um, now, this isn't doing anything like that, right? No, so, so that's you know, that's a kind of that's just, just a separate comment on it follows really. Um, but in kind of in terms of what it is, what the film is saying. I think one of the things that it's saying, which I think is 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 a problem, is like trauma can never leave you, right? No. So so this thing is that she she has a therapist and she does go to see her, and then the therapist is imitated by this monster and becomes part of the threat. Um, it's true to say that she doesn't like stick with the therapist, but then we also find out this film's taking place over a few days. She hasn't really got time to make the therapy kind mm. of work, you know. And then ultimately she realizes I've got to go back to the source of my trauma, this the house I grew up in. Um, and kind of and face the monster there. I don't think that's the driving thing. The driving thing, or the logic behind yeah. it, is this monster can only kill me in front of other people. So therefore, I will go to be alone. Where can I go be alone? My deserted house. Yeah, the, the mother. Yeah, absolutely. And she is explicit about that. But she chooses that location as opposed to just the desert. You know, she doesn't drive off into the, just the wilderness. She gets to this location. So this, I think, there has, there's some purpose about this. Sure. And she is confronting. She specifically, I'm confronting the demon there. She basically says it. Mm. Um, and, she, and indeed, she does so. And she appears to have defeated it because there's this thing about the demon saying, you know, well, she, she says, I know this isn't real. The demon's playing her mother. Mm. I know it's not real. I know this isn't real. And the demon says, your mind makes it real. And you're trapped in here. And then she turns the tables. No, no, no. You, the demon, are trapped in my mind. And mm. so I can win. And you go, yeah, okay, it seemed quite simple and it's probably not going to be the end of the film, but it kind of made sense and it was explicit about dealing with her trauma. She, so what she does is um, when she turns the tables and says, you're stuck in my mind, is she then sets the demon on fire and it screams and she appears to... And she burns down the house. I mean, it's very, it's super symbolic of getting over the trauma. And throughout that scene, she's talking explicitly, again, in dialogue, about um, letting this go, letting the trauma go and letting the guilt go and all that mm. kind of thing. So it would have been, had that continued and been the resolution of the film, it would have been a bit quick and it would have been a bit simple. But I kind of would have been satisfied with it. I was, mm. I was satisfied with that. It was a sensible resolution. Of course, what then happens is it all turns out that this has been an imagined uh, hallucination thing. She's back in the house. Which I think is a kind of cheating. And the demon gets inside her and she kills herself in front of her friend the cop. Not her friend, her ex. Her ex, yes. So, which is important. Um, her ex, the cop. So ultimately, the trauma hasn't gone away. She hasn't been able to fight it in any sense. And it's just one. So the film ultimately is just saying, like, the, wh- is, whatever you do, the trauma just won't leave you. I mean, that's, that's, is, that's, hardly, that's hardly a good... <laughs> this is a way in which a film, in trying to set up a sequel, <laughs> shoots itself in the foot, Right. Because in a way, like, the message that the film gives is love is impossible, kind of getting close to someone is impossible, you know, overcoming trauma is impossible, therapy is no help at all, etc. I mean, it is just, like, horrible, right? And all so that you can continue, smile too, with the the ex now as the lead, right? I mean, it's just... Outrageous, really. Yeah. Very unsatisfying. But it's also, it's not so much that it's horrible to, to suggest these messages, but also that it's untrue. Yeah. I mean, therapy helps people. Well, the doctor helps people. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, the point is that 
it's a very downbeat and cumulatively downbeat on all areas of the film touches on. It's a really almost like kind of, you know, nihilist film. You might as well just kill yourself, really. Like Yeah, and then it, <laughs> it kind of pisses in the audience's face. And actually then you think, why did she? What? Yeah, like, well, so if the film basically is saying none of these solutions are actually an option, mm. yeah, but killing yourself is a way for the virus to stop. Yeah, I if you kill yourself alone, alone with no yeah, then the monster can't uh, pass on to someone else who's the witness to this trauma. Mm-hmm. So that might be a way of stopping it. So why don't you kill yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, that definitely crossed my mind, but she's hoping to live. Well, you know... <laughs> she's hoping I, to defeat the thing. I understand that from the character point of view, but what's the film's point of view on the, the situation? Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. well, that is a question too. Like, yeah, yeah you could just kill yourself. Because uh, there's no escaping it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so obviously, this is what I see about inconsistencies, because I'm sure the film doesn't think that. But that is the logic to that way of thinking. Well, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's an unreasonable interpretation that, exactly. we've, that we've developed. So, and then, like I say, the film ends up pissing in your face after this downbeat ending, as you say, by over the closing credits, it's lollipop, lollipop, it plays lollipop. Yeah, I know. And I, I mean, I found that such an immature, like that's the way a teenager would end the, this film. Mm. You know, I, I mean, when I was like making little short things or whatever at university, that's what you do. The kind, of, <laughs> the kind of idea I would have had. Like, isn't that cute? I play lollipop. It's so fucking immature and and stupid, and it's basically the film like not taking itself seriously. It's it's come to this extremely downbeat. You know, we thought we'd won, but we'd lost mm. ending, and we've seen our main character who we were hoping would win immolate herself, and the virus will continue. And then it's, ha, 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 lollipop, fuck you, basically, from it's, the film. It's a very unsatisfying film. And one of the things that I found unsatisfying was the casting. What did you make of the casting? Um, I think everyone is um, pretty mediocre, with the exception of, let me just get her name quickly, um, Judy Reyes, who plays the professor's widow mm. that she visits in that one scene, who is best known, I think, Probably to everyone. I don't think she's done anything better known than Carla in Scrubs in the first decade of this century. She was great in that. And and I think she's very effective here. Mm. Yes, I mean, I, I I thought that most of the cast was actually fine. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, I mean, there were a couple that I thought were really poor. Mm-hmm. You know, that, um, that guy who is in the uh, hospital who ends up kind of, uh, you have this dream sequence where she's stabbing him. Yeah. Right, the the kind of the very safe mentally ill. Yeah, patients. I thought he was very very poor, but I, but overall I thought everyone was fine. But no one was charismatic, right? Mm. So I mean, you know, on a seventeen million dollar budget, maybe you can't get like proper stars, but you could have a more charismatic cast, really. Mm. You know. Um, I and I don't know if I'm describing it correctly, but yeah. there was a sense in which kind of you didn't particularly want to see these people, you know, like kind of they weren't <laughs> yeah. giving you anything to, to, to look at, really. Um, so they didn't, they didn't grab you. I'm no. Sure. So, so I thought they were technically fine, most of them. Yeah. But, you know, very poorly cast in the sense that no one was really truly engaging. I did have a problem with... Um, Carl Gullner, who plays Joel, who's the cop ex-boyfriend, mm. I think he is weaker than the other actors. Mm. He's doing too much... 
there are too many kind of ticks and facial movements and things in this performance that are there to suggest you know unease with something that someone said or disbelief or whatever it might mm. be and it's just if he, if he could just calm his face down it would be a kind of a smoother and mm. and, and less distracting performance um i also have an issue with his whole part of the story his character this is um because so he's the ex-boyfriend cop who ends up back in um, the main character's life because he's investigated this suicide that she's witnessed right at the start. Mm. It just ha- it's just a coincidence that he's he happens to have um, come to investigate this, and then she goes to him for help in investigating previous suicides, following the chain back. I mean, that's where the film actually really starts to pick up for me. Mm. We're getting into the detective stuff, you know, learning mm. what this is. Because I think before then it had been You're a little clueless. plodding. <laughs> well, it would have been a little plodding. It was kind of setting up mystery in time, mm. but it wasn't making much of it at this point. Um, so there's the film is very clear that that there is there's history between them, and it is fairly clear that he regrets you know not ha- not her her not being in his life anymore. Sure, um, he loves it. Right, which would then explain like why he is being so helpful with letting mm. her into you know, confidential police files and so on and so forth. Because I said to you at one point, you must be the worst fucking cop in the world. <laughs> you know, it's just like letting, as far as the police are concerned, a stranger mm. look at these files. Um, but you know, it it explains why he would do that. That that he still loves her and maybe would hope to get her back. But the film, even though it makes this clear that this is a strand, never kind of never sells it through his character. And I don't think it's his fault for not conveying it. I think that like, he's not been asked to convey it, yes. but he should have been. Yes. Do you know what I mean? He needs to see through him that he still loves her, as opposed to just his actions. But that's an important distinction. I mean, I think he's fine. Yeah. There were other actors who irritated me. The sister irritated me no end. The acting irritated me. Mm. You know, the husband of the sister irritated me because of the way the character was drawn. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, the the casting, the characterization, all of that is, um, you know, the last nail in the coffin of this film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall, I would say, I think it is successful at several things. I think it does successfully create the tone it's going for. And it made me... Frightened, the jump scares were effective, and I don't think they were unfair, and I think that's kind of what you come there for. Mm. Um, I think it is successful at a number of things, but it is, you know, confused and and has, I think, messaging that is sort of lying mm. <laughs> about things that genuinely help people. Um, I think it is kind of spitting in your face a little bit at the end. Um, I was bored, and and you were just bored, so there's that, um, and and it definitely doesn't deserve to. Have, made 110 fucking million dollars like it should have just gone away I wonder what other people are seeing in it or enjoying in it that I don't I think it's a film that makes you think you're smart for liking it because and and I definitely thought this about It Follows as well which wasn't as smart as it thought it was Mm. as well is it's to do with the way that it's shot so despite the fact that I said that I like that you know the the, the tripodness and the slowness and the um, this doesn't quite do long take It Follows definitely was doing long take I don't think this is doing that so much but it is it is giving scenes and in, and establishing moments and scenes time to breathe and mm. things like that. Um, and it is creating imagery that is, at the very least, kind of considered and and reasonably artfully thought out, if not kind of deep and meaningful. I think it's it's like it. We, we've talked before with um, Matt Denny about elevated horror when we talked about Hereditary mm. in the podcast. We had him on, 
and he was saying it's like it's horror that sees itself as better than horror mm. and i think the kind of the fans of it see themselves as 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 better film mm. viewers do you know what i mean there is something about that and i think it's just like a film that kind of flatters you into thinking that you're smart for liking something that's mm. had the camera put on the tripod it's not as good as all that mm. it's not i thought it was a, a poor poor show indeed um so shall we leave it here yeah 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 didn't make me smile and <laughs> <laughs> no indeed so thank you very much for listening we're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts uh, Audible Google Podcasts Spotify SoundCloud and YouTube on social media we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com thank you very much for listening bye bye, bye. <laughs>